Welcome to a City of Reading podcast. We're talking cybersecurity today. If you have a computer, a phone, a bank account, or a social security number, or you aren't just living under a rock somewhere, this episode is for you. Cybersecurity is something everyone is worried about but might not know where to start or what to watch out for. This is why Rob McQueen, cybersecurity officer for the city of Reading, plays a key role in making sure that city data is safe and secure. He also has a lot of great tips and tricks for the community. Phishing, malware, ransom attacks, and your basic scammers are unfortunately all around us. How should you keep yourself and your family safe online? What should you look out for? Just in time for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which happens nationally in October each year, Rob will answer these questions as well as talk about the future of cybersecurity in the age of self-driving cars and AI technology. My name is Rob McQueen. And I'm the cybersecurity officer with the city of Reading. I'm actually not sure if cybersecurity is necessarily a new position for the city, but it definitely seems to be a growing industry and something that people are paying more attention to now. What is cybersecurity and why is it important? That's a great question. Uh, yeah, cybersecurity is it, it's one, it's a really hard thing to define, honestly, because it involves more than just bits and bytes and ones and zeros, as they say. Cybersecurity, you know, it's technology. It's things that we hear in the news like ransomware attacks. It's things that we hear like uh, phishing attacks, uh, phishing and spam email, those types of things. But but it's also controls around security and controls around information technology and uh, data and how we protect data and that kind of thing. So it's really hard to put cybersecurity in a box it's kind of a vague term, honestly. Technological ways of potentially doing harm, causing a data breach, causing ransomware attack and encrypting everyone's data and them not being able to get it back. So it's a combination of a lot of things. Maybe this is an obvious question, but it's worth asking. Why does the city of Reading need a cybersecurity officer? What is it that the city is using this role for? Well, I'll, I'll tell you when, when I started, a lot of the need for this position was related to the electric utility. The electric utility is facing a pretty rigorous certification process that they've been undergoing for, for several years now, which is going to come to completion, which is actually the starting line soon for the utility moving forward. So a cybersecurity officer in, in that part of the city's role is, you know, kind of looking at the critical infrastructure protection, they call it, and NERC standards. It's N-E-R-C is the, is the acronym. It's a lot of standards and processes and governance and ways of protecting the critical infrastructure, which is the electric utility and, and how it interconnects with other utilities. So that, that was really, I think, the push for, for this position initially. But as I've as I've kind of settled in a little bit and, and seen, you know, other other parts of the city, we also have two airports here and uh, one that we hope that we're moving quite a few passengers through. And we have a, a integrated public safety with the, with the police and fire and the challenges that, that go with protecting that data and, and governance around those. Rob, I'm curious, on that, on that same thread, how does cybersecurity differ in local government than it might say in the university setting or in a banking or in the private sector? I will say that in the school setting, I've been around education for quite a while. Also, I teach part-time and I've done that for about five years at the community college and then and then worked full-time, you know, for the CSU. So 
seeing kind of the standards and the regulations that they adhere to versus the city, they're, they're very similar. Some of the oversight is different in how often cities being reviewed or IT processes and procedures are being looked at really strictly might differ a little bit, but there's just, there's only so many people to go to around. And, and the more that cybersecurity and, and these kind of issues come into the news, the more emphasis there is on it. So I guess, you know, I'd say the city level versus the, the CSU it, is pretty similar as far as, you know, the regulations and the, and the requirements that we're trying to follow overall on a, on a higher, higher level. And I think when people hear the term cybersecurity, they think of like hackers and big data breaches and all the stuff that pops up on their computer, like the ransomware, all those things. Is that really what it is? It sounds like there's a lot more regulation and a lot more, for lack of a better term, checking the box, making sure that you're installing the right things and working to proactively prevent attacks more than you are actually like fighting back against attack. Is that right? It is. And it's a blend of both of those things. I talk about governance and stuff. I'm, I'm really a risk nerd, I guess. I think you can't really make a decision about any technology or anything you're doing unless you kind of take a look at the risk that that's going to pose to your customers or people you're trying to serve. So I always approach everything with a risk mindset. What's the potential risk of making this decision? And then I like to ask questions and survey it out a little bit. If we implement this technology or do this thing, here's the potential risks of doing that. Here's how we would handle customer data or here's how we would do these types of things. So first and foremost, I think risk is kind of where it all starts. And then you take a look at the tools and the things you have to stop, you know, ransomware and pop-ups and spam and phishing email and those kinds of things. Look at the risk you are in the overall scheme of things. What do you have of value? What does someone have to gain from attacking you or taking your data or whatever that is? And then you kind of put controls around it based on the amount of risk that you're willing to accept or not accept. I mean, every everybody naturally would say, yeah, we want zero risk. Our appetite for risk is absolutely zero. But realistically, that it's just not realistic if you're if you're gonna connect a computer to the to the internet. So you kind of have to factor that out a little bit and ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this? Do I really need all of these services and things turned on on this computer? Or can I get away with maybe just a few things that I need just to do this job and then have some good controls around it? So that's that's kind of what I'm always looking at. I'm curious, as the resident cybersecurity expert, we as a society are so connected now between phones and computers and you know stored credit card numbers and social security numbers. What should the community know about their own cybersecurity? I would say the phrase zero trust is one that's being thrown around a lot right now. And uh, there's actually a directive from the president that's wanting all federal agencies to adopt a zero trust frame of mind or architecture, I guess I'll say. So, and that goes for everyone. I mean, it's essentially saying, you know, you can't really trust anyone 100% completely. We do to a certain degree based on based on the risk we're willing to accept. But that zero trust mentality is, you know, think about when you're on your mobile phone, maybe, and you're logging into your banking site. It's like, are you connected to a Wi-Fi at any coffee shop where they offer a public Wi-Fi? Maybe that's not a good idea. You can't really control who has 
access or control of that Wi-Fi router. So, you know, there's things that can go wrong there. There's also a lot of uh, resources out there for the public to take advantage of free stuff and kind of guidance and Cybersecurity Awareness Month that's going on right now. It, it offers a lot of free tools and things for people to take a look at. And it's, it's really helpful stuff. And we wanted to mention Cybersecurity Awareness Month. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And I was not aware that October was Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Has this been a longstanding thing? Is it new? And, and why are we celebrating it? Or, I mean, that's a bad term. We're not celebrating. You don't celebrate. <laughs> why, why is there a month that's dedicated to cybersecurity? It's actually been a thing for, I believe, about 19 years now. Yeah, so it's it's always the month of October, and in the past, it, it's been theme-based. They've had a theme for week one and a theme for week two, week three, week four. This year, they kind of threw the theme thing out the window and just kind of said, we're going to stick to kind of four key topics. It's basically the whole theme, the overarching theme for the month is see yourself in cyber. And it's it's talking about things like using multi-factor authentication. A lot of your sites now, your Netflix or your banking sites are saying, you know, add that PIN code to go with your password. And just simply doing that, it really, really increases your chance of not getting your password, getting compromised. Password managers those things where you can store your passwords. We have so many passwords we have to remember now and how many people remember all of their passwords. It's impossible. So we tend to reuse the same password for multiple things. So that's where that password manager comes in. Personally, I don't know a lot of my passwords. You know, they live in a password manager and I get them from there and I use multi-factor every chance I get. That's, That's a simple one. You know, people just using, just adding, I know it slows things down and security tends to, slow things down sometimes and we all have things to do we have a we have a million things to do during the day but just taking that extra step with your banking site or something that you feel you know what's the risk you're willing to accept here is it my bank account well yeah i think i want to add multi-factor to that versus maybe you know if it's a library card or something or something and maybe isn't as valuable maybe i don't i don't need that but but definitely the password manager's are a really good way to go. And, uh, and the multi-factor is a really good tool to use. How do you handle the ever-evolving technology? And I'm sure those that have nefarious means online or the dark web, whatever's out there as far as these negative technology advances around cybersecurity are ever-changing and, and evolving. How do you ensure on the other side of that that you're doing the same and matching, you know, blow for blow, if you will, so that we're best prepared as possible? Always trying to stay ahead of it is so important. And it's a challenge, honestly. Security is has been referred to as an onion. You know, it's several layers deep, you know, you know, the outer shell, and then I'm pointing at the screen. I know you can't see me, but, but the outer shell. And then, you know, if they get through that defense, you're on to the, the next defense and the next defense. It's always having these redundancies in case something bad happens. And then for myself, I love to learn. I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly researching. I think having something they call a threat intelligence program is really important. And threat intelligence is just all of those news bites and blurbs and different reports of a zero day vulnerability was found in Microsoft or this uh, vendor or that vendor, there's a a zero day out there. So always, you know, every day, daily, I'm researching that kind of stuff and listening for what would impact the city the most, first and foremost, you know, what what are the most critical assets we have 
how could they be impacted, and then looking for these threats that are out there that, that could possibly get to us. So the threat intelligence program, it, it involves, you know, memberships in a lot of different organizations. I belong to several of them by nature of my job. And some of the certifications that I have allow me to have these memberships of threat intelligence programs where we information share that's not being shared with the public more or less, but be shared within industries. So information that is only shareable within the utility industry or maybe the the transportation uh, security agency, the TSA, the information there for airports or other, other arms like that. So I'm a big fan of gathering that and kind of looking at trends over time and then you know, just doing assessments locally, taking a look at what's our risk posture, what is doing a you know an internal penetration test and seeing where we may be vulnerable and then looking at threat intelligence and you know, making good decisions about what we do. And kind of on that note, are there some scams going around right now that people should be aware of? Like if you could probably talking to your friends and your neighbors and your family, like, hey, watch out for this or this scam's gaining popularity. What are a few of those that you would tell the community about? Ransomware attacks are really prevalent right now. And the reason is, is because they're successful. Ransomware is somebody infiltrating your network and they encrypt all your files and then hold it for ransom. You have you have to make a payment. And uh, the popularity of Bitcoin and that kind of thing makes these transactions pretty much untraceable. So people are able to pay in Bitcoin and, and get their files back, but it doesn't always work. I've heard some horror stories about People who ended up paying a ransom but didn't get the data back. You're kind of you're at the mercy of people that are doing these kinds of things. So phishing email and social engineering attacks are, are really prevalent. Social engineering is that you know everyone has a public footprint on social media sites or, or whatever you choose to share about yourself, and then bad guys kind of leverage that information and, and try to gain your trust somehow. That's a pretty good one. Something called smishing attacks like phishing attacks, but it's text-based. So you're getting these SMS text messages. There was a Venmo or a money sharing app issue not too long ago where text messages were coming and saying, did you authorize this transfer? You know, please contact us and would add a number or something, but it wasn't Venmo number. It was some call center somewhere where people are trying to just grab information from people. Phishing, 90% of ransomware attacks, I would say still around 90%. Every data breaches, ransomware attacks, malware that gets launched, those kind of things are coming through phishing attacks, through email attacks. And the reason is it's easy to do and it's still working. Spammer can send 500,000 emails and if they get one, two, three people to click, that's all they need. So... And maybe you could just describe phishing just for people who might not know what some of these terms are. Ransomware, you got a description in there. Someone's holding your stuff for ransom. What's a what's a phishing attack? Phishing is just you know, somebody trying to fish for information from you, basically, is kind of where, where the term comes from. It is someone sending you an email that says you have some action to take. You, you have a past due balance or your email server is going to be taken down for maintenance tonight, please click here, you know, to make sure that you understand or something. Phishing emails are always trying to get the person to take some action or or they are trying to create some kind of um, knee-jerk reaction all the time. That is, that is really, really common. 
Um, they're all the same. They use tactics to defeat um, these spam filters that we have. The, one of them that we're seeing right now is just misspellings in, in typical keywords that, that uh, these spam filters look for. Like uh, any, any of the typical keywords like uh, payment, payment invoice or invoice due. They will misspell invoice and misspell the word due in order to trip up this keyword tool, finding keywords like that. So it's so that it will pass the email and hopefully get a hit. So and they're, they're very, very clever. Uh, the people who do these kinds of things because it's lucrative. It, they make a lot of money from it. What would you tell people who are maybe now like, you know, nervous to open emails or nervous to click on links because maybe they have been fished before, or maybe they know mm -hmm. about these phishing scams. What do you tell people to, it, it, how can they protect themselves at home? I tell my family, I tell everyone I know, if you're not expecting an email from somebody and they're asking you to take some action, delete it. Just, just ignore it. Just, there's no harm in, in not responding to an email. Part of the, most of the success of, of these phishing scams is them to prey on your, your sensibilities. You might be a, an honorable person. I really want to do the right thing. And this person's trying to lure me into taking some action because they are expecting you to really be an honest person and do these honorable things. And they prey on that. So just always keep in mind, if, if you're not expecting it, just, you know, there's no harm in ignoring it. Or if you think it has come from somebody that you know, but you're not expecting, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to call them, you know, just give them a call. I know a lot of us, we don't use the phone much anymore. It's, you know, you can send a text really quick. It's, it's what it is. But I mean, you can even send them a text and say, hey, did you mean to send this email? I think your email might have been compromised. And Robert, there's certain demographics or subsets of the community that are more susceptible. I know you hear sometimes maybe some of the older population falls prey to certain cybersecurity risks. Same with teenagers who are relatively new to computers or phones or whatnot. I mean, are there certain demographics that are more susceptible? And if so, do you have any tips, tricks, advice that we haven't already discussed that could be helpful for those folks? Yes, there are resources. When I worked in the banking industry, I did some presentations on elder financial fraud and spoke to these senior communities about some of the types of scams that are out there. These sweetheart scams, they call them. They prey on, on somebody who may have just lost their, their husband or wife. And they see that obituary in the paper and they reach out to them and and want to help them and be helpful, but end up gaining access to their checking account. Or we saw it in banking a lot. They would elderly person coming in with a new younger man and saying, "Oh, this is my new my new special friend, and we we want to withdraw five thousand dollars because we're going on vacation." And that's a, that's always a red flag. So yeah, the, the elder population, those those financial scams. There's phone scams where they'll call and say, "You know, my grandson." just called and he's stuck in a prison in Mexico and I have to wire this money or he won't be able to come back and they just prey on their on their sensitivities like I said before you know and their their willingness and want to do the right thing it's terrible and it's prevalent and what about the other end of that too with children who are experiencing some of this technology are there certain resources that you can recommend or how do you unleash the world of technology on children these days that is a really tough one. And I will say, though, that Cybersecurity Awareness Month, it's sponsored by, it's called staysafeonline.org. It's a nonprofit, 
and they work with the National Security Agency. They, they offer a lot of free tools and things that people can use to protect themselves. It talks about how to identify cyberbullying or, you know, if a, if a young person, you know, is, is just starting to get involved in technology and they're being cyberbullied, what to look for or what to do. Cyberbullying is a really, is a really big one. And then for anyone who just has a establishing credit or who has a new checking account or is in college or something, they have a stay safe online. They offer a lot of instruction for how to protect your privacy and your mobile apps. There's a lot of different privacy settings in some of the social media sites that can get overwhelming. You know, maybe you don't want somebody to see your location or, or to know that who you're posting to or certain things you can hide. This site, Stay Safe Online, they offer ways to help you lock your app down, I guess is what it, what it is. I mean, everything from video sharing apps like Netflix and those kinds of things and a lot of different banking apps talks about how to lock your privacy down there or how to find the settings and, and how to get to them. And what about the future of cybersecurity? Where do you think we're going? I mean, I know it's all speculative, right? But what do you think the future holds for, for how quickly technology is moving? You know, with self-driving cars, refrigerators with Wi-Fi, that kind of thing. Everything's connected now, everything. And, and it's not stopping anytime soon. And with the advance of now 5G technology and, and really, really strong, good bandwidth, interconnectivity is going to keep going. So the challenge in that is, is how to protect it. I mean, the internet really wasn't designed to be safe. It was just meant for a couple of computers to talk to each other and grew from there. So we're, we're kind of bolting on security after the fact, almost. So the future is in automation, really. It's in automated processes. You know, cars drive themselves, like I said. So And security should do the same thing. You should automate the movement of data when you can. Just take some of the risk out of it, some of the potential for a misconfiguration with, with the amount of technologies out there and the amount of risk there is to other people getting the data. You know, at this point, I, I would t- I would tend to say some people are just pretty much, it's like, it's no big deal anymore. Oh, there's another data breach. So it happens weekly now, but it is still a big deal. You just got to keep making those risk-based decisions. It really comes down to the decisions people make about how you implement tools or the technologies that you use. People are always going to be a part of this, like it or not. But when you can automate some of the decision-making based on risk, that's really helpful. 